morning everyone. It's good to see you all at church today. Um, I'd like to start off this message with my testimony. And um, I was born into a Christian home, Christian family. And um, there was mom, dad, Mark and myself. And dad was a deacon at a church in Albury. So we went to Sunday school and we... Um, were very involved in church life. And I heard Sunday school stories about all the people in the Bible, in the Old Testament, those wonderful stories, and loved them. And I used to go every week. And then one day, when I was 13 years old, in our own home, because mom and dad used to have a Sunday school in the home for the kids on the estate, and it was the Sunday before Easter Sunday when I was 13 years old. And Trevor Harris, Gwen's brother, he used to take the Sunday school. And he told the Easter story. And I'd heard it many times before, many, many times before. But on that Sunday afternoon, it all became very real to me. And... He told of how Jesus was arrested and beaten and crucified. And he died on the cross. He shed his blood on that cross to pay the price for my sin and for my wrongs. And that afternoon, I gave my life to Jesus. I put my faith and my trust in him. And I believed that my sins would be forgiven because I believed in him. And that was the start of my life with Jesus. So I said I put my faith in him. So what is faith? How would you explain the meaning of the word faith to someone? Well, the simple definition is that faith means that you believe in something or someone most of us have got faith like we believe that tomorrow morning the sun will rise. We believe that we will pay our taxes to the government because these things we know and we know because they have happened regularly before. And this type of faith is based on what you can prove and on evidence the Bible talks a lot about faith, but not the faith that I've just described. Bible faith is believing totally and confidently and being sure that God exists, even though you can't see him. That Sunday afternoon that I was talking about, when I asked Jesus into my life, I absolutely knew that God is real and that Jesus died and he rose again for me and he wants a personal relationship with me. It was all very real. But you know, believing in God and that he exists just isn't enough. It's only the beginning Hebrews 11 
is a well-known chapter all about faith. And in my Bible, that chapter is entitled Faith in Action. Faith in Action. Verse 1 begins like this. Now, faith is confidence, the assurance of what we hope for, and the assurance of things not seen. And to explain further, that chapter goes on to talk about people in the Bible who had this faith. They had faith, but they also acted on it. Faith in action. One person mentioned is Noah. So why is Noah in Hebrews chapter 11? Well, you find his story in Genesis chapters 6 and 7. And it says this in chapter 6, verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of the time, and he walked faithfully with God. In chapter 7, verse 1, God said to Noah, I have found you righteous in this generation. Now, Noah lived in a time when mankind is described as wicked. The Bible tells us that the people on earth at that time were corrupt and they were filled with violence. And ultimately, one day, God said, enough's <coughs> enough. And he promised to destroy mankind because of their sinful ways. And God told Noah, make yourself an ark. God gave Noah exact sizes, dimensions, instructions on how to make the ark. Go and build an ark. Now Noah had the skills to build this ark. It was huge. Over 100,000 square feet of floor space. Huge. But consider this. <clears throat> Noah had probably never, ever seen a flood before. I've been reading about this, and it was, there's quite a strong belief that there were no floods before Noah's flood. And God told Noah to build this huge ark, nowhere near an expanse of water. But God said to Noah this, I'm going to bring flood waters on the earth to destroy all life under heavens. But my covenant promise with you, Noah, you will enter the ark you and your family, and two of every kind of animal, male and female. So, what did Noah do? Well, in Genesis 6, it says this, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. So Noah built the ark. Noah's faith and obedience in building the ark must have seemed absolutely crazy 
to Noah's friends, to his neighbours, to the community around him that watched him day by day building this massive ark. They probably mocked him and humiliated him and taunted him. But he was building the ark and he carried on. Noah was warned by God of things not seen, not expected, no evidence for. But he obeyed God's command and he made the ark to God's exact instructions. He did not give up. Noah showed great faith in action and the result was that the rain did come. It poured down for 150 days. Noah and his family were saved because of his faith and complete trust in God. God might not be calling you and me to build an ark, but he does ask us to live by his word, as Joe has reminded us over the last three weeks, and to step out in faith. God releases his power through our faith. Our choices to live by faith in God will also result in amazing blessings day by day. We'll see him at work in our lives. We'll experience amazing blessings. And so our faith will grow day by day. We learn through our experiences with him and living our life with him. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says this, Jesus is the author of our faith because faith itself begins as a gift to those who are called to follow Jesus Christ. Our God is faithful and he will never fail us. He wants us to believe in him. He wants us to walk through our lives with him and he wants us to grow in faith. But you know, in the Bible, faith is often talked about and linked to hope and love. Faith, hope and love, they're often mentioned together and they're actually known as the triad of graces. And they are the triad of graces that God bestows and gives to his people. So let's consider hope. The Bible talks a lot about hope and we use the word hope a lot. I hope you're okay. How many of you said that today? Morning, hope you're okay. I hope you've had a lovely birthday. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. But our use of the word hope here represents a possibility of a positive outcome but we're not entirely sure that it will happen. The dictionary definition is to want something. And this is based on doubt <coughs> and uncertainty. However, hope in the Bible is different from this everyday use. Bible hope is knowing for a fact that the desired outcome will happen, no doubt. It's not wishful thinking. 
It's a confident expectation. Hope in the Bible isn't a mere wish that implies doubt. It's confidently expecting that it will happen, waiting patiently for it, because God has promised it. And he will never fail us. Hope takes its foundation in faith. I found a couple of quotes I'd just like to read to you. Faith and hope are complementary. Faith is grounded in the reality of the past. Hope is looking for the reality of the future. Without faith, there is no hope. And without hope, there is no faith. So hope is looking expectantly towards the future based on our faith in God in the present and his faithfulness in the past. God's message of hope is sure and certain. I'd like to read to you 1 Peter 1 verses 3 to 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We've recently been celebrating Christmas as we remember that God sent his son into this world in human form to live among us and to identify with us. But never forget that Jesus came to restore our relationship with God the Father through his death on the cross. He paid the price with his own blood for our sin. That's how much he loves us. Jesus came to forgive, to rescue and to restore us to God. And his death and resurrection bring us all hope. When we take that step and put our faith and hope in Jesus, his spirit comes to live within us. And his promises are for us to claim in our lives day by day. Let's remind ourselves of some of those promises, ones that we talk about a lot here at Bethel. And these are our promi his promises to us as his people. Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12. I think it's probably our favourite. For I know the plans I have for you, says God. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Another one, Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. 
I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. One more. Psalm 32.8. I will instruct you. I'll teach you in my ways and the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. You know, we have these promises, but unless we read the word, we won't find them. And we need to take them and own them. Christians need to have hope. It motivates us to, make, to move forward day by day because life does throw tough times to us, doesn't it? With hope, we can have peace despite the circumstances that we're in because we know that we have a God who has a plan for each of us and who works all things for good for us and he is in control. Difficult times teach us to trust God. The Bible tells us to keep going and to persevere. It builds character and helps us to see beyond our current circumstances to the future that God has promised us, all those who love him. Yes, our hope and faith carry us through life. Claiming those wonderful promises that God has written in his word for us. But we also have another hope for the future, an eternal hope. And this is a hope that we know for a fact will happen. If I read to you 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. He's coming back is what it's saying with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We have this hope for an eternal future not a wishful hope, a certain hope for the future. The Bible tells us, doesn't he, that he is Jesus is coming back. It's quite clear. He's coming back. And we wait expectantly for his return. The resurrection of Jesus means that we, his people, can confidently expect to be with him for eternity. It's the eternal future that's promised to us. So we've got faith, we have hope given to us by the Father. What about love? They come together, the holy triad of graces. Well, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says this. Now these three remain, faith, Hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love, 
but the greatest of these is love. Paul tells us love is the greatest, but why? After all, we're saved by grace through faith. We continue to grow as believers through faith in Jesus and his word, as Joe has been telling us. Also, we look forward to Christ's return. Hope empowers us to persevere through life and the difficulties we might face. This hope also focuses on our eternal future with Jesus seen him face to face. Yet Paul tells us that love holds the highest place in this holy triad. Why? Well, Galatians 5 verse 6 tells us the answer. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Our love is first and foremost to our Father God, who loves us with complete, unchanging, forever love. He sent Jesus so that through him we can have this intimate relationship with God our Father. But if we look at Matthew 22 and verses 37 to 39, we read the great commandment. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. We are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind. And our responsibility as Christians is to grow and develop the relationship with our Father God, as Joe was telling us. But the second part of this great commandment is to love your neighbour as yourself. You know, God does not save us so that we can remain indifferent to the needs of the people around us. Rather, as the Holy Spirit is within us and lives within us, it develops our faith in our hearts and we grow and mature as Christians, but God intends for that faith and that love to produce countless deeds of love for other people, for those around us. How? How do we do that? Well, the Bible tells us again. If you see someone hungry, feed them. If you see someone who's thirsty, give them a drink. If you see someone who hasn't got a coat, give them one of yours. Jesus also told the parable, didn't he, of the Samaritan? And the key message to that was, if you see someone in need, help them. As the Samaritan did for the injured man at the roadside. These are examples of very practical ways to show God's love to others around us. 
The Bible tells us that if love is real in a person, you'll be able to see it. Love is an action word. It's not an abstract idea. Love moves. It does things like acts of kindness, giving of your time and even your possessions, putting yourself out for someone. Love responds to those who are in need and it reaches out to them. It's not just referred to in the Bible, but love is integral to our faith. Loving God and loving others cannot be divorced. The Bible teaches us that there is great power in love. Love for one another conforms us to the example of Jesus himself and it makes us more like him. As Christians, the Holy Spirit lives in us. God is love. And that love should be active in us, in our words and in our actions. You know, as a church, we are blessed to be part of Manor House and to show God's love in action through what we do there. But do you remember how it started three years ago? We, I can remember going to um, a, a church meeting and Mark and Tony brought this idea, vision, to the church. But you know, there was no premises. There was no place to have the manor house at that time. There was no pot of money that was identified to support that. We're quite a small church. Where would the volunteers come from to run it week by week? But God provided everything. We look at the things that we haven't got, but we need to step out in faith. And that was what was called for by this church when that idea of Manor House Pantry came. And we stepped out in faith and he's provided everything that we've needed. You know, God knew that times were going to be tough for our local community, this local community. COVID pandemic, inflation, the cost of living crisis. So he blessed us here at Bethel with Manor House Pantry and a clear instruction to us all, feed the hungry. What blessings we've experienced and what amazing provision we have seen week by week over the past three years. God is faithful. When he calls, he provides and he will never fail us. So love must be our priority. Love and obedience to God first and love to our neighbour. Love in action. He won't fail us. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today and forever.